And so, actually, he's going to be preaching next week, so you get get the privilege of hearing him teach as well. And uh, I know Pastor Joey did a great job last week, so I'm thinking I'm putting myself out of a job, okay? Uh, So, but this is Pastor Andrew. This is his wife, Holly. And as you can tell, they're expecting their fourth child, okay? That just get rid of the awkwardness when you meet them later. So, uh, in about a month, okay? And this is our daughter, Hannah, and then Grace, and then Will, okay? And uh, so, uh, what I'd like to do is pray over them and... And I pray that, you know, they've had a, uh, this is a big transition for them, uprooting their family, moving from Florida up here. Uh, We're very blessed to have them. And there's a lot of God steps in them coming here, which I'm excited how God knitted all that together. Uh, But, you know, uh, they've left friends behind and family behind, and and that's tough, right? So you guys just keep them in your prayers. And I'm eager to see the ministry that God's going to unfold in front of them here at Coastal Community Church. Let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Oates family. And uh, God, we are, it's really neat uh, and I don't have time to share all the steps of how you ordered our steps, God, but it's really neat how you weave a tapestry together uh, that brings you glory, how we serve together in a church family, God. And so thank you for uh, Andrew and Holly and their faithfulness. And I want to pray for their children. I want to pray for uh, Hannah, Grace, and Will, God, as they um, are leaving old friends and are going to be making new friends. And I just pray, God, that your hand of protection would be over them, Lord. Uh, bless their marriage, bless their home life, and bless their ministry here at Coastal Community Church. So thank you for bringing them to us, and uh, we look forward as a church to serving together, and uh, and so we appreciate you uh, bringing the oats, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so give them one more round of applause. They've already heard my sermon once, so they're not going to endure it again, okay? So they're just going to exit out the side door. Keep them in your prayers. If you see them today after service, hug their necks and welcome them. I... Um, I'm gonna, I've been thinking about this for two weeks now, and I've decided to, uh, to come out and tell you guys that uh, I'm a closet frozen watcher, okay? I have an eight-year-old daughter. Um, anytime my wife takes my older boys out and it's just her and I at home, I will be the one to say, hey, you want to watch Frozen? You know, I really like it. Um, we have gone on YouTube. We've, we've watched all the songs on YouTube, the making of the songs. We've watched uh, the song Let It Go be sung in so many languages. I can't even, you know, name them all. And, uh, and so I love that movie and I love that song. And uh, it, it, I laugh throughout, you know, I, I love Olaf you know, the snowman, and he's got the three body parts that often separate, and so, you know, me and my boys, are, we love to quote the line, watch out for my butt, you know, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but we, whatever, you know, but we laugh at that every time, and, and, but there's nothing worse than watching a movie when your dad's the pastor, you know, and that's what my daughter's got to endure, because, you know, when Elsa is building her castle, and she's singing Let It Go, and she's building this ice castle with her magic powers, and she starts that scene where she goes up the frozen steps that she's making up to her ice castle. And as she's singing, she says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Right. You know that line? And the whole time I got my pastor face. I'm like, no, honey, I'm talking to my daughter. No, honey, that's not true. You know, there's right and there's wrong for everybody, you know. And, uh, but one of my favorite songs is actually a lesser known song. You know, it's the song Love is an Open Door. And there's this crazy scene where Prince Han Prince Hans and Prince Anna, they've met that day and they decide to get married in one day. And so they, they sing this song uh, called Love is an Open Door. And, they, and in the song, they're talking about all the things that they have in common. And Prince Hans sings this song and he, he belts out, it's crazy, he sings. It's crazy how we finish each other's. And then Anna yells out what? Sandwiches, right? And, and then Hans goes, 
that's what I was going to say, right? You know, and so, you know, just, and what you would expect there is crazy how we finish each other's sentences, but um, apparently they eat each other's sandwiches. So, you know, and so, and so it's just a little bit of a curveball. It always makes me laugh in in Disney songs. And so uh, this morning I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball in my title, okay? And so we've been looking at this passage of scripture in John. And uh, so those of you kind of of students are coming back from the summer, maybe you left in the spring. We've been going all the way through the gospel of John all summer and you can catch up online. I would encourage you to do that. But I've really parked in John chapter 13 and John chapter 17. And the reason being is it's this little teaching of Christ to his 11 disciples that we don't get in the other gospels. It's, It's from the last supper to the crucifixion of Christ. And so in between here, Jesus is spending some extra time with his 11 disciples. Judas has now gone off to betray him. And so he's teaching 11 disciples. And so in John chapter 17, it's Jesus's final prayer uh, before he's crucified. And it's actually the longest recorded prayer of Christ that we have in the New Testament. Okay. And so, and so I've titled this sermon, this is my little bit of curveball. I've titled this sermon, the Lord's prayer, the other one, right? Because when you hear the Lord's prayer, what do you think of our father who art in heaven? Right. And so, but really this is the longest recorded prayer of Christ. And so it might be better served that we call it the Lord's prayer. And so I'm going to pull out a couple truths that I hope will encourage you uh, this week uh, from, from this prayer. And we're going to break this prayer down in three sections. First, Jesus prays to his father by himself. Then he prays over his 11 disciples. And then at the end of the prayer, and this is really cool, and I hope you'll find it cool when we get there, he actually prays for you. Okay, and, and we're going to come back to that, but he actually prays for you at the end of this prayer. And so the, the first thing I want to pull out at the beginning of the prayer is how Jesus talks about timing, glory, and unity. Okay, as three really important parts of his ministry, timing, glory, and unity. So look with me at John chapter 17, verse 1. It says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have, gi- for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you've given him. So first thing I want you to say, I want you to, in, in that verse, if you, on your handout, you can circle this, the hour has come. You can circle that, okay? Because uh, the, the thing that's important to understand about what God is doing is there's a timing element to what God is doing and revealing his glory. And so even Jesus recognizes that, hey, now my time has come. This this idea of bringing glory to God through the work of the cross, which was the work that was set before Christ, okay? But there's multiple occasions in the Gospel of John where he says, no, my time has not yet come. Okay, in John chapter 2, Jesus turns the water into wine at this wedding, and he says, no, my time's not yet come. And in John chapter 8, the people are going to stone Jesus, and it says his time had not yet come, and so he passes between in the crowd. And, and it's kind of cool. Our, our student ministry, our youth group, they, uh, over the last year on their Sunday night Bible study have been going through the gospel of John. And so I picked up my son one week and uh, I said, what'd you learn tonight? And they were going through John chapter eight. And he said, we learned about how Jesus did his Jedi mind trick. And I'm like, what? You know? And uh, he's like, yeah, he just kind of waved his hands. He passed through the crowd. No one, like, how'd that happen? The Jedi mind trick. I was like, huh, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know. So I never thought of it that way, but it was time, his time and not yet come. But now his time had come. And, and this is a theme, and, and, it's, and we'll, well, I'll bring some application here in a minute, but you know, in your life and in my life, sometimes uh, we got to understand that while God is using our lives to bring him glory, uh, there is a timing element to when he brings himself greatest glory through your life. And sometimes we get
get impatient on the timing of God. Does that make sense? And so we see, it's kind of a bit, we see this theme throughout the Bible. Remember, Joseph had a dream. Remember the story of Joseph where he has a dream as a, probably a young man, maybe a teenager, he has this dream that, that all his family is gonna bow down to him. Like, like if you have a dream, like if you have 12 siblings and you're the youngest and you're the favorite of dad and you have a dream that your siblings are gonna bow down to you, like keep that to yourself. Like, you know, don't tell other people. So Joseph decides he's gonna brag to his brother. He kind of knows Johnny Manziel, you know, kind of this, you know, like six people understand that. But, uh, you know, he's kind of bragging, you know, about, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm, you got, he goes to his brother and says, you guys are gonna bow down to me. And of course the older brothers don't like that very much and they sell him off into slavery, right? His timing was wrong. The dream was true. What God wanted to use his life to bring him greatest, bring greatest glory to himself was going to happen, but his timing was off. First, Joseph had to learn what it meant to serve as a slave in Potiphar's house. First, Joseph had to learn what it meant to serve in a jail cell and do his best in the setting God had placed for him. His timing was off. And so we have to be careful of timing. King David, the same thing. Remember 1 Samuel, King David was uh, anointed to be king, but there was already a king in Israel. King Saul was already king. Remember, and King David had several opportunities to kill Saul and to become the king that God had already promised. And, and David said, man, I'm not going to lay my hand on God's anointed. It's not the right timing for things. You know, sometimes we get ahead or we get behind God's timing. I've seen this a lot with uh, young people when you're dating. Um, like, it's kind of the uh, Hans and Anna thing. Like, you know, we're just, we're going to get married. You know, it's all great. And, and because your timing is off, because you don't live in community, there's nobody speaking into your life. I've seen young people rush ahead of, and miss a whole lot of red flags because they're missing God's timing. God probably does have someone for you to marry, probably someone great. But you have to be careful of the right timing. Of those things, I've seen this in business, right? Business people, we tend to do this. Man, sometimes we, 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 I've seen business take on too much debt load, you know, uh, get ahead of God and the timing in their businesses, and and so we have to make sure. Jesus here says, "My hour has come. The timing was right. God was revealing His greatest glory through the ministry of Christ." The second thing is, is I want you to see. So the our prayer of Jesus starts with timing and glory of God, the glory of His heavenly Father, and the cross of Christ, which is so Jesus is praying, He's about to go to the cross. Okay, the cross of Christ reveals two very important things about the character of our God, which brings our heavenly father greatest glory. Okay. The cross, first of all, reveals the justice of our God. So when we look at a cross, if you had a cross on as a piece of jewelry, there's a cross here on stage. Whenever you see a cross, you got to understand there's a couple things happening on the cross of Christ that reveal the glory of God. And ultimately it reveals the character of God. Okay, and so the first part of God's character is the cross reveals the justice of God. And it's very, very important. I, did you notice during that song that we sang? I, I, uh, I, I've actually struggled to sing that song this morning, Lord of All. Did you notice one of the lines we sing in that song did, as you were singing it? Did you give pause? Your enemies rise, your enemies fall, your what? Anyone in the next line? Your fire consumes them all? I mean, like, what are we singing about? Did you ever ask that question? You know, there's several God is statements in the, in the New Testament. There's only like four of them. God is. One of them is God is a consuming fire. Do you know that? Why is that important? Like God is serious about his holy character. God is serious about his hatred of his enemies. I think God is more serious of his hatred for sin than we usually are. 
God is serious. When you look at the cross, you've got, many of us look at it through the, through the lenses of the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and grace of God. And that's what we're going to get to in just a minute. But you've also got to look at the cross and understand the character of God is satisfied on the cross in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God is a holy God. He's a consuming fire. He hates sin so much so that if he's going to have a relationship with you, he couldn't just wave his hand and forgive it. No, he had to penalize it because he's holy. And so he poured out the penalty of sin on his son. The wrath of God was satisfied on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Does that make sense, church? And so God was glorified. The cross reveals the glory of God. What's it reveal about the glory of God? It reveals his holy, just character. That he's a holy God and he pours out the wrath of his holiness on his son. And so God satisfies his holy demands by substituting his perfect sacrifice, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's what the cross reveals, the glory of God. The second thing about the glory of God is the cross reveals the love of God. The cross reveals love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. If you're here this morning and you've experienced the forgiveness of God, maybe you're here this morning, maybe there's some things that have happened in the past couple of weeks that you're embarrassed of and you'd be ashamed if they were played up on the big screen. And so you're here this morning, and you're like, you're wondering, man, is God going to accept me back into his presence? Yes. Do you want to know why? Because that sin was paid for on the cross and by grace through faith, he loves you. He wraps us in his mercy and he wraps us in his grace and he forgives all our sin. When you look at the cross, the glory of God is real because it is where love and justice shake hands. That's what's going on at the cross. And so Jesus prays, he says, listen, you know, you glorify me, I'm going to glorify you. That's what's about to happen at the cross is the character of God is going to be revealed and we bring glory to God. The third thing that happens in this prayer that Jesus reminds us of is unity. There's an incredible unity between God the Father and God the Son. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I'm going to come back to this in a couple weeks. At the end of this prayer, I was reading this week as I was preparing for my sermon in a couple weeks and... Um, there's an incredible truth at the end of this prayer where Jesus is um, he's saying, just as, Father, just as you and I are unified, let my disciples be unified. Like, like the intimacy that God the Father and God the Son share, he, he ha Jesus has that kind of intimacy planned for us, his church. It's fascinating to me. I'm trying to get words and thoughts and my head and heart around that as I preach that in a couple of weeks. But unity, Jesus says this in John chapter 17. He says, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. By the way, one of the things that uh, Pastor Joey did a phenomenal job preaching the last couple of weeks. If you didn't hear his sermons, I would encourage you to listen to him. But one of the things that him and I were talking about, and he did a great job handling, is throughout the gospel of John, there is a theme that comes up over and over and over. It's the doctrine of election. It's a doctrine of election. And, and Pastor Joey did a great job of explaining this mystery to us by saying, I don't know how to you know, get this mystery, get my head around this mystery. But it's a great, great sermon. But, so Jesus says, you've given, me, given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Verse 2, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who sent you to earth. I want you to be clear here this morning because these are, there's some overflow truth here in the Godhead that overflows to us and our ministry as a church, okay? There's unity in the person of God. So there's unity between God the Father and God the Son. We see that here in this prayer. There's unity in mission. God is in the process of reconciling man to himself through the person and work of Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to know God, something drew you here this morning, okay? If you're here because I don't want to get to know God, let me tell you something. The way to get to know God is through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. 
It's not any God you want to worship. It's the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is very, very clear. You know the God of the Bible through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to worship God, we, you worship Jesus Christ. And there's a unity there in the person work and in the mi- mi- mission of reconciling people to God. Third thing is there's unity and purpose, that they honor one another. So I'm going to unpack that in the coming weeks. But the opening of this prayer is about, is about timing, glory, and unity. All right. By the way, I've said this before. There's, a, there's this overarching theme of the Bible. It's, it's actually it's a bigger theme than the redemption of man. There's a theme in the Bible that's bigger than just man worshiping God. And that is the glory of God in all things. Okay. That God gets glory in all things. He is worshiped in all things. He's worshiped when things go wrong. He's worshiped when evil is conquered. All right. He is worshipped in all things. That is the bigger theme of the Bible. And so Jesus here prays about timing, glory, and unity. Here's the second thing I want you to see, okay? Jesus prays about completing his assigned task. Jesus prays about completing his assigned task. John 17, 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work. I want you to circle that, okay? By completing the work you gave me to do. He was given an assignment by his father, and, the, and Christ completed the assignment. I pointed this out many times that Jesus knew what his assignment was. Okay, this wasn't a surprise to him. He didn't wake up one morning and said, oh, man, I got to die on the cross. Like that, He knew that was his assignment from the beginning of his ministry. It comes up over and over again. He was to give his life for those chosen by his heavenly father. Now, let me make this a little bit practical, okay? So let me ask you a question. What do you think your assignment is? I want you to this morning, we're going to just take a, a little bit of a path here this morning. I want you to see your life through the lens of an assignment, all right? That you, you're placed here on earth by God with an assignment to complete in your lifetime. And that assignment in all things is to bring glory to God. I believe that's a biblical truth. I believe that each one of us has been given some mandated things for God, God has placed us here on earth for us to complete. Now, I'm not comparing our assignment to the assignment of Christ, okay? It's obvious that his was unique. But we have been given assignment. Maybe, maybe your assignment here this morning is to, to raise a family. And, and you, need to, you need to do that for the glory of God. Maybe your assignment is to, is to uh, complete this school year and, and take every test and every paper to bring honor and glory to God every step along the way. To take every classroom teaching seriously. So you bring glory to God in all things. We are given assignments to complete our day-to-day tasks for the glory of God. Now, I love that idea, by the way, this idea that God is with us, that he's put us here for an assignment means that there's nothing more, uh, there's nothing mundane and there's nothing ordinary. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to worship God in all things when we do it for his glory and for his purposes. I remember when my kids were younger, you know, my wife and I used to talk about this and, and my wife did the bulk of this. My kids were close together in age and, and, um, and, and so there was a season of life where all she did, especially, of course, I jumped in when I was home, but what she did was, was change diapers, okay? And, like, that's an awful assignment. Like, you're like, when? I'm sick of poop, you know? And, like, so when does this end? And, and, but, but she did that with the idea that I'm doing this to honor God. This is what he's called my hand. He's put this task to my hand. I'm going to do it for his praise, his glory, knowing that he sees every day, every moment of her life, and I'm doing it to honor and to worship him. 
You know, maybe your assignment is to serve in some capacity in your church, in your local church. I'm a huge, huge, you have to know this, okay? I'm a huge believer in the local church. That, that this is, that God has left the local church here, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, to pass on the truths of Christ from one generation to the next. And, and, and so you have a part to play in that. It's part of your assignment. And by the way, I want to thank those of you. You know, this is our first week doing three services, and, and we needed a lot of people to volunteer and step up to carry out the ministries to make that go. And so many people have stepped up. So thank you, thank you, thank you if you're serving in our weekend ministries here. And, and there's still room if you want to. But maybe it's to serve in a local church. Maybe, maybe your assignment... Is to, is to remain pure while you're single and while you're dating. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue purity in our sexual relationships because that's the assignment God has given me for this season of my life. Maybe your assignment is to work for an ungrateful boss who doesn't appreciate what you do, but you're going to continue to serve well. I know, I know that's how most of the employees at Coastal Community Church feel, right? They work for an ungrateful boss, but you do that as an assignment because you're honoring God in all things. And so God has is, is, is redeemed the ordinary. He's bought back the mundane so that every part of your life is an act of worship, an act of glory to him. And Jesus says to his heavenly father, I've finished the assignment that you've given me to do. Okay. The apostle Paul in one of his sermons, he in Acts chapter 13, I've always loved this verse. Uh, and so Paul is talking about the supremacy of Christ in the sermon. This isn't the gist of a sermon, but it's one little verse in this sermon about King David. And it's always been an encouragement to me. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, Paul says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his father and he saw corruption. It means his body decayed. But here's the point of that verse. It's always encouraged me that David had an assignment for his generation. Every single one of us in this room, we have a a, a biblical God assignment for this generation. And when you're done, you'll fall asleep, says the Bible. You know, that's the end of your life. But in the meantime, you've got an assignment to carry through. And Christ submitted to the will of his Father. He says, I've I've carried my assignment through, which leads to my final point here this morning, which has a similarity to it, that Jesus in his prayer, he prays about the completion of his purpose, which really is leaving a legacy. I wish I'd, I'd put the underline under legacy, okay? So Jesus finishes his prayer and he says, I've completed my purpose, which is leaving a legacy. John chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, Jesus finishes this section of his prayer by saying this, Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and they know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. So let me, let me back up here a little bit and give this some context. Okay, So if you remember the broader context of the Gospel of John. Okay, so we, we looked at this almost throughout the series, but week one, I, I, we put, parked in John chapter 20. Remember John chapter 20, verse 30? The Apostle John writes, and he gives us the big picture context of this gospel. He says, here's why I've written this, okay? It says, so the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. I love that verse, right? That gets my wheels turning. Like, so what else did Jesus do that we don't know about, right? Wouldn't you like to know that? You can find out one day, okay? You can ask him, all right? 
But, John says, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So John says, here's why I've written this book. Let me zoom back, give you the big picture. I've written this book so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's a special one sent from God. He's the Son of God. And in him, there is life, and you'll have both life here on earth, and you'll have eternal life by the power of his name, okay? So now, let's zoom back into John chapter 17. Jesus says, now, he's praying to his heavenly father. He says, I've completed the task. I've given the information that you want. I've taught these disciples, these 11 guys, now that are left. I've taught them all that you want, wanted me to teach them. And now they believe in you. And now I can finish what you've called me to do. I'm going to go to the cross. Is basically what he's praying, okay? Now, let's zoom back. You probably know a little bit of the story. Like, what happens next? So Jesus is praying. He's like, you know, kind of like, hey, my, my work here is done. I've given what, the, what you wanted me to give these 11 guys. And now I'm handing it off to them, Right? The ministry, the most important thing, the most important truths that have ever been placed on planet Earth, Jesus is now handing off to 11 guys. Anybody want to know what happens in the next couple hours? You guys know the story, right? He hands off to these 11 guys, right? And so he's going, Jesus then is about to be crucified. And as, as, he's being, as he has his mockery of a trial and he's being crucified, the 11 guys deny they even know him and they scatter. Jesus handed off the kingdom of God to 11 cowards. Isn't that great? And yet, one of the cowards, the Apostle John, comes around full circle after the resurrection of Christ, and he writes this gospel, and he says, man, we've got to write these things because Jesus is the Messiah, and I've written these things so that you might have life, and you might have life in the power of his name, okay? I love that. You want to know why? I've been a coward. You ever been a coward? You ever didn't stand up for what is right? You ever did the wrong thing when you know you shouldn't have done it? Here's what gives me encouragement. God still uses cowards to pass on the name and fame of Jesus Christ to the next generation of people. And that gives me hope. Not only do I have an assignment, but I also have the opportunity to leave a legacy. And even when I mess up, God still uses screw-ups. And so the gospel message has been entrusted to others here. And church, that's what you have to know. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only do you have an assignment, but you have a legacy to leave. You need to make sure that you're emptying the truths of the gospel into someone else. That Jesus here entrusts this message with 11 guys. And here's what's really, really cool, okay? So these 11 guys take this message and they pass it on, okay? 11 cowards, they pass it on to some other people. And they pass it on to some other people. And they pass it on to some other people. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 he says this, he's passing on the message of Christ to this guy named Timothy. He's a young pastor in Ephesus that he says, listen, I want you, I'm, what I'm emptying into you, the truths of the gospel of Christ, I want you to do something with. Check this out, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, Paul says, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses, which by the way, I don't have time to do a whole apologetic here, but this is really important that the message of Christ has a lot of witnesses around it that were willing to die for the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, okay? And Paul affirms that over and over and over in his writings. He says, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by reliable witnesses. Now, Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. 
I want you to hear this, Coastal Community Church. This is cool stuff. You're here this morning because 11 cowards took the message of the resurrected Christ, passed it on to some other people, who passed it on to other people, who passed it on to other people. And here we are 2,000 years and several continents removed, and we are still worshiping Jesus Christ because the message of Christ was passed on from one generation to the next. Isn't that cool stuff? And we have an opportunity to take the truths of Christ that were seen by many reliable witnesses and pass on the gospel message to another group of people. That's our assignment and that's our legacy. It is not good enough that we just come in here and we worship and we go home like, that was good or I got something out of it or whatever. And I hope you did get something out of it. But man, your life is bigger than that. You've got an assignment even in the ordinary and in the ordinary, God uses the ordinary to, to pass on the message of the gospel from one generation to the next. This past weekend, I, um, I went up to, uh, my son had a soccer tournament up near D.C., you know, and um, there's nothing worse than a bunch of parents watching their kids play a sport. Like, we're all over the top, okay? You know, like, like we all think that all of our kids are going to be at the next World Cup, you know? And, and, if the, and if he's not getting enough playing time, it's the coach's fault. It has nothing to do with his ability, right? You know, it's like, that coach, can he see he's the next Messi? You know, I mean, he's incredible, you know? And, um, and so we're all over the top. And I watch all these over-the-pop parents, self-included, you know, and we get all amped up and about soccer and cheerleading and dance class and baseball. And parents, let me give you this. I pray to God that you are passing on more than just whether or not your kid can score goals. We don't get nearly as over the top about, man, are they in church? Are they worshiping? Am I telling them my testimony? Am I, am I pouring into them the word of God? Am I praying over them? We don't get nearly as over the top about that about, as we do about whether or not they can hit a baseball, right? And in church, it's our job to make sure that we're leaving a legacy of the gospel, it's our job, as Christ said, Father, I've now passed on, I've entrusted the gospel to these 11 guys. We need to make sure that we're, that it's an incredibly high calling. College students, you got to get in a small group while you're here. You got to have some Christian community that rubs off on you and you rub off on them. And parents, you need to make sure you're emptying in the children's. And by the way, empty nesters. There's a guy that I'm going to have preach here in December that I, I consider one of my mentors. Okay, and I bring him in from time to time so that you know that I lean into some other people. And he's an empty nester. Every time I call him, I feel like I'm bothering him. He's like, you're not bothering me. This is what I'm here to do. I, I invest in other people. Empty nesters, you've got some time on your hands. You need to be investing in some of these young men and women around Coastal Community Church so the truth of the gospel goes from one generation to the next. I preached this in the first service. And after I left, there was this empty nester couple that came up to me and were like, that was the coolest sermon. I love what you said you want to know why we just decided to go on the mission field just because we can do it now we're kind of empty nesters it works for us god's not done with you man pass on the truths of the gospel from one generation to the next it's a very high calling to leave a legacy i'm going to tell a story and we're going to close with prayer this morning I, this past week i well, a week a week and a half ago i um, was on vacation with my family my family rents a <clears throat> place at Ocean City, New Jersey every year. It's always a great time to hook up with my mom and dad and uh, my siblings and see their kids. And, and my, my, uh, my dad is a, um, he's a, a retired, semi-retired HVAC guy. Okay, my dad's a very simple guy, not a ton of education. He, um, his mom, his dad died when he was young. 
my grandmother, his mom, came to Christ later in life. So he kind of grew, grew up. He, his mom's a first-generation Christian. She passed on the faith to him. He didn't have a dad, so he was kind of learn a Christian dad. So he was kind of learning what's this kind of this Christian dad about. And so, in a sense, he was a first-generation Christian, hardworking man. Could he, he? He's kind of like uh, he could fix anything. I mean, he he could fix anything in this building with duct tape and a screwdriver type thing, you know? And so, like, when it comes to working with tools, like, I feel like I'm in a big embarrassment to my father, you know? Like, I just know nothing. But he's, he's great. He's super handy. And my brother was telling me the story that this past winter, my dad has always hated working out in the cold. And so he had this very blue-collar job. He's always out in the cold in the wintertime. He's now a snowbird. Good for him. You know, he gets to go south in the winter. But, um, but my brother, when they were, this past winter, they are working outside, and he looked at my father and he said, Dad, you know, how, it's miserable out here. How did you do this for all those years? And my dad looked at my brother, and he said, Son, I, I worked in the cold all those years, and I didn't like it because I made a commitment to you and to your mother to provide for our family. Now, now there's a deeper truth there than that, actually. And he didn't vocalize it, but because I lived with him, I know what it was true. He did that because he was worshiping God in the ordinary. He did that because he was worshiping. He understood the commands of God. He understood the call of God. He understood what the call is as a godly father and a godly husband and his role, biblically speaking, what his call was. And so he made self-sacrifices in order to honor God. But there's a bigger truth, not just that he was a committed dad, because a lot of us had committed dads. He was, it was even bigger than that. He was also a spiritual dad that, that, that passed on spiritual truths. I um, On Sunday of last week, uh, I was packing up and uh, we were packing our van and getting ready to come back to the peninsula. <clears throat> we have about, my siblings only have about a three-hour drive. I have about a seven or eight-hour drive. And uh, I'm just setting myself up here. I'm giving you my excuse for why I didn't go to church. Um, so, um, <clears throat> and so it was about 10 o'clock, and my wife and I are packing up, and we're getting ready to leave. And my mom and dad, here we are in Ocean City, New Jersey, and they're dressed up. I said, where are y'all going? And they're like, we're going to church. There's a church right down the street. I'm like, you you don't even know this, but yeah, we just want to go worship the Lord. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go home. Uh, so, and I'm a pastor, but you know, and so <clears throat> it's pretty convicting. I was like, is it okay if I sing a couple praise songs in the van while I'm driving? Does that count? So, uh, but all kidding aside, like, like that, my father passed on more than just commitment to his family, although that was part of it. I mean, my father passed on spiritual truth. Like, like we knew growing up, like we're going to be a part of a community of faith. And, and we knew that uh, even on the weeks as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, I didn't want to go to church. Like, we were going, you know. And actually, my life, I gave my life to Christ in one of those services where I didn't want to go, parents, right? Where I, I got dra they're just dragging me to church, you know. And then all of a sudden, like the Spirit and the Word got a hold of my heart there, right? And so, you know, I just knew that there were spiritual things being passed on. My father left a legacy, and the reason he did that has everything to do with the prayer of Christ. Now, he might not, he might not draw all the dots, but I understand what he was doing. And the prayer of Christ in John 17 to his heavenly father is this. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it. And know that I've come from you, and they believe you sent me. Jesus Christ passed on his gospel to 11 cowards who passed it on to other fallible people that mess up, who passed it on to other fallible people who mess up, passed it on, passed it on, passed it on. And we worship 2,000 years later because the truths of the gospel are passed on from one generation to the next. So I'm close with a question. Hopefully it will be a challenge to you. Who are you passing on the gospel of Christ to?
To whom are you passing on? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the prayer of Christ reminds us that there's no ordinary, there's no mundane. We have an opportunity, church, to leave a legacy. That's my prayer for you this week. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Coastal Community Church. God, everybody here got up this morning and took time to come out and worship you. And I'm, I'm humbled by that and I'm thankful. But God, I, uh, I get excited when I look around this room and I think, man, every person here has got a circle of influence. Family and friends and, and roommates and classmates and co-workers extended family, God, in their lives, they intersect and they influence and they, they have opportunity uh, to pass on the gospel message of Christ from one generation to the next. And God, people are building two kind of lies. They're, they're building on a truth or they're building on a lie. And one is a foundation that will crumble and one is a foundation that will stand and will last. And, and God, we have an opportunity to pass on the truth that people can build lives that will last. And so, God, I pray this week that you would challenge us both intentionally and unintentionally to find places to pass on the, the message of Christ. God, you've given us a high calling. Thank you for the, for the Lord's prayer. Thank you for the challenge to leave a legacy. Thank you for the opportunity to leave a legacy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so very much for being here. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, we want you to know we're not after your money, so don't feel any obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal Community Church, so if you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to. Okay, if you're a guest, I'll sign that bulletin as a tear-off. If you just fill that out and throw that in there, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning and you have a prayer need and you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone, maybe your heart is heavy, your burden's heavy, uh, we always have people in purple shirts that sit on the front row. That's our prayer team. They would love to minister to you by praying with you and over you. And then I want to remind you, September the 13th, Saturday, September 13th, uh, we're having a women's simulcast here with a really well-known teacher named Beth Moore. And uh, we're going to simulcast that here. I'm going to show you a video clip to remind you. And then if you're interested in coming, ladies, if you just sign up at the ministry kiosk and we'd love to get you, get you signed up so we just get some idea how many are coming. Okay, so watch this video, Beth Moore. Father, we say to you today that you are faithful. You've been faithful yesterday. You've been faithful today and you will be faithful to us again tomorrow. We want one person to get attention here. One person to get our focus. One name and that is the great and mighty saving name of Jesus Christ. He can change the way you think, which will change the way you feel, which will change the way you act, and which will change the way you live. No matter how things look right now, my God has not taken his eyes off of me or my family, and my God is surely going to come through. God is glad to see you home. You have not gone so far. He does not want you back. We may not be where we're going, but we are not where we used to be. You guys stand and sing with us.
Hope is here. 